Welcome to Rumble. I'm Michael Moore. It was an historic moment yesterday. I guess that's been said probably a thousand times over in the last uh, 12 hours or so. But, you know, we're a nation (laughs) with 44 white male presidents, one black man, no women. And the sense that that we try our best to get a bit better every step along the way. When Joe Biden announced late in the afternoon that Kamala Harris would be his running mate, my first reaction was a sigh of relief, a wave of relief that went across me because I was absolutely convinced that Susan Rice was going to be his nominee for vice president, that he would essentially pick someone to the right of him, someone who comes from the, uh, let's say the, let's call it the Dick Cheney School of uh, Foreign Affairs. Uh, That might be a little harsh, but damn it, man, Susan Rice, I just thought, geez, this is going to be awful. And then it didn't happen. It wasn't Susan Rice. It was Kamala Harris. And we have talked about Kamala um, on this podcast way back in the days when Bernie was running. And uh, if you remember back, I think it was the first debate where they the commentator, the host, asked the question, how many of you up there believe in uh, and support Medicare for all? She was one of the first to shoot her hand straight up and... She was a co-signer of Bernie's bill. But there were a lot of questions and a lot of discussion about uh, her work as a prosecutor, both in uh, the city of San Francisco and then as the attorney general for the state of California. And a lot of very important things were uh, brought up and discussed about this. I'm not going to discuss them uh, today. Um, They're out there. And they are part of what we all have to pay attention to. But I want to talk about, in part, where we go with this information, with this news uh, from yesterday, the moment we're in, the, the moment that this is only the second time a woman has uh, been the vice presidential nominee, the first time a person of color has been the vice presidential nominee. Sean King, the great Sean King, who we've had on here as a guest and uh, who is also a writer and columnist, uh, he wrote last night that that in spite of everything that anybody could say and the criticisms are, are uh, legitimate and all that, but what we have here in truth is the most progressive vice presidential candidate in our history. That's Sean said that and I and I, I agree with that. 
She's also been one of the most progressive senators in the Senate. She, <laughs> every step along the way, um, she has taken position after position with Bernie, with Elizabeth Warren. And her cross-examination, I guess is the way to put it, of Bill Barr and other Trump officials that have had to come before her committees has been absolutely thrilling to watch her take them down. So, you know, I came to like the job that she was doing as a senator. And then we would, you know, we crossed paths and ran into each other on the so-called campaign trail in Iowa and New Hampshire and, and back and forth in and out of MSNBC. I have to tell you, just on a, on a personal level, I find her to be a really warm-hearted, kind, good, decent uh, human being. Uh, not a phony, not uh, not the typical uh, politician, and I think I felt bad during the during the early part. I mean, she dropped out before the first uh, caucus. Her opening rally when she announced in Oakland, California, tens of thousands of people there it was just the most amazing. More people than were at Barack Obama's big announcement that he was going to run for president in Springfield, Illinois. It it it, it um, I thought. It would come down between her and Bernie or her and Bernie and Elizabeth. And the fact that she left, ran out of money, couldn't somehow come together. You know, she was finding her way during the debates and trying to solidify what she really believed in and what she wanted to say. You could see it's a tough, it's a tough road. It's a tough road to be on. But, you know, on a personal level, I, you know, I mean, I've, Usually got my bullshit detector on pretty high. I think you, you when you reach a certain by the time you've lived a certain number of years in your life, it, you don't you know really in the first thirty seconds. I mean, sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes you make a wrong first judgment, but don't you know in the first thirty seconds if somebody is is who they say they are? You know, has a has a a, a good a goodness to them. You know that, right? And how many times do you try to convince yourself that the, the, the sort of bad first impression is just that and it's going to get better and then it never really does get better, does it? It's, it's exactly what you thought it was at the beginning. And, and then you reach a certain point where you realize time is, time is short, life is short, and I'm not going to bullshit myself or anybody else. So running into her, talking to her, uh, meeting her husband, meeting her daughter, and I thought California is, uh, is well represented here. With Kamala Harris, why did Biden do it? Seriously, I mean, think about this. I this is kind of I still, you know, it's many many hours later now, but I'm still trying to figure out why he did it. Because I just thought, and even Trump said this, he, he couldn't believe that after the 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 whooping that Kamala gave him in that debate, that oh, why would he ever want to? have her as his running mate. But what she said in that debate, if you remember, she talked about the fact that many years ago, and for many years while he was in the Senate, he was chummy and tried to be friends with racists and segregationists like Strom Thurmond and Jesse Holmes. I think he gave the eulogy at, I think, at one of their funerals, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, he was always wanting to be close to them. And I'm like, wow. Why? And that's what she was saying to him. And she put him right on the spot. And it was, you could see, just 
embarrassing and humiliating uh, for him. But she was speaking the truth. Hard thing to do, especially when I'm, I'm sure she liked him and, you know, they did share similar politics on many levels, not all, but, but there she was taking him down the same way Elizabeth Warren took Michael Bloomberg down in his first debate. And it was an amazing thing to see. And, um, and so all this time when they've been talking about he might pick her as his running man, I'm just thinking, no way, no way. But he did. He had to somehow, someplace in his own soul, sort of decide that for the greater good of whatever he thought would be the greater good for the country, that he wasn't going to let a personal thing like that get in the way. And maybe, just maybe, he too, in his own heart of hearts, knew that she was right. Maybe by that time he, re he did regret being friends with these segregationists. That that's just wrong. She had to tell him that on the stage. You know, I asked I asked one of my sisters here, um, last night. I said, "Why do you think he did this? Why did he Why did he forgive? Why did?" And and she, she said, "Because he's a Catholic." <laughs> this is how we were all raised Catholics. I said, I laughed. I said, "Yeah, yeah." I think, and he's still a Catholic. I think he still goes to mass every Sunday. And not for show. I mean, he really, he is a believer. And if you don't know what that means, my sister's saying that oh, he's a Catholic. It's like, yeah, we, you know, we, we could, we could do a number of podcasts uh, going through what the problems are with the Catholic church and any of us who were raised that way. But, but we also remember there was this very good element of how to be, how to care for those who are the have-nots, the poor, how to be fair, how to treat people the way that you'd like to be treated. There was, there's that side, you know that, right? Maybe some of you don't, but there's that element of, um, of Catholics that they don't like seeing wrong happening to people harm, kids in cages. Those are all Catholic kids. They're all from Latin America. Hmm. I don't know. Why did he do it? He could have swung the other way. See, he's, Biden's like a pendulum that would prefer not to swing right or left. <laughs> if he could just stay right in the center with that pendulum, he'd probably be happiest right there. And that's why I thought, well, the pendulum's, pendulum's going to have to swing, so it'll swing to the right, and he'll pick Susan Rice. He let the pendulum swing to the left. Not far left, just enough to the left to pick one of the, you know, five, maybe five most progressive senators in the U.S. Senate. Maybe he thinks that's what he needs. He needs a little pull toward us over here. He likes Bernie. I've met him too a few times over the years, going back probably in the, I think the first time I actually ran into him was on the Amtrak. I was coming back from DC to New York and of course he was done with his day in the Senate and so he was riding it 
taking getting off at Wilmington, Delaware. Wilmington, Delaware. Next stop. <laughs> That's when you're like you're already half asleep, and the conductor's coming down the aisle, um, thinking that he's in a movie from the 1930s. But um, so. That's the first time I spoke to him, and then Democratic Convention in 2004, a couple other times. Nice guy again, nice guy, decent guy, swears like a sailor, <laughs> but, uh, you know, not exactly, not my politics, uh, but uh, why did he do it? I don't know. This is what I think, and I hope everybody takes this the, the right way. I think he knew that he had a very sober decision to make a, if I can say a solemn decision to make because it wasn't about him just picking his vice president person that usually doesn't have a, a lot to do, but I, but Obama gave him a lot to do. And I assume he was going to give his vice president a lot to do. No, this is, I think he knew he knows, he knows how old he is. He knows what's going on. He knows, and he's even alluded to this, that he may be a one-term president, that that's, he'll put everything into it for these four years, and then he's, you know, he's going to be, what, 82 years old or so, more, 83, I don't know, something like that. So, so whoever he's going to pick is very likely, possibly, the next president. So he's not just picking the vice president, he's picking the next president of the United States, and I think he knows that. And I think that's why he pondered on this and he took a little more time about this and he had to sort of visualize this. If I'm picking the next president, what does that look like? And I don't think he could see, I don't think he could visualize President Susan Rice. That just doesn't work, does it? No, right? Just pause, for try it yourself. President Susan Rice for four to eight years after he's served his time? No. Oh, God, no. Really? No. And I think he knew that, too. As much as he probably likes her, he worked with her in the Obama White House. But he couldn't do that. President Gretchen Whitmer? Well, you know, I'm a fellow Michigander here, so I'm not, well, maybe a little biased, but, you know, no. Mm -mm, no. No. No, he, he knew he was picking the next president of the United States. That's a heavy... That's a heavy load. And and he must, just like I'm assuming anybody at that age, you know that you do, you're not only halfway through your life. You're, you're in the final years of your life. You don't know if you're even here tomorrow. I mean, that's true for all of us. But obviously, as you get older, you get close to 80 years old. I don't I've talked to enough 80-year-old people. I had parents. You know, one lasted to... 82 and one lasted to 93 and but yes they were well aware in their 80s even in their late 70s that you know this is probably winding up at some point here and if it does wind up for him god forbid but you know during his uh first term he had to know that there was somebody that was going to be smart i mean whip smart the opposite of what we've had to suffer through for the last four years that could step in and be the president of the United States. Just as he intends to be the opposite of Trump, so too must this woman be the same. And I think that's what was really picked yesterday. Our next president after 
our President Biden. And I know it sounds like I'm doing what I hate to do. I please do not assume that he's going to win. We're going to talk about that later this week and weekend next week during the Democratic Convention, where where our minds need to be in order to make this happen, or we're going to end up well, like we did in 2016. And I want us all to take this very seriously. But so tonight I'm speaking in the hypothetical, but I'm I am in a hopeful mood because he decided to tilt a little bit toward us, a little bit toward Bernie. He picked somebody who is a co-sponsor of the Medicare for All bill, the Bernie Sanders universal health care bill, and a number of other things I could point out. Sean King, in his his post uh, last night, said that um, he being, I think he went to Morehouse and pointing out how she went to Howard and that we could be all very surprised of how she will step into this moment, that there will be perhaps redemption in some way for the feelings that people have about what happened when she was attorney general or the prosecutor in San Francisco, that in fact, she may propose, push forward one of the most progressive criminal justice bills that she and others have been talking about now for some time. That could happen. I mean, I know the cynics amongst you are saying, Mike, Mike, what are, what have you taken the Kool-Aid here? What's going on? No, I'm just saying that sometimes when we're presented with not the gift that we wanted, but half the gift that, um, and in this case, I think it's more than half the gift. I have a gut feeling about her. Hey, you know, if I am wrong about this a year or two from now on the podcast, I'll, I'll let all of you. Um, phone in here and, and have at it. Have at it with me. But I think we should celebrate this moment. And I think that, especially white people, come on. You know, don't get all pissy and whiny and moany right now um, in this 24 hour period here where our fellow African American citizens of this country, where the women of this country, have a rare moment that the racism and the sexism and the misogyny and the hate did not rule, did not make this pick. Let black America have this moment. You know, it's hard enough getting through this pandemic. We're all a little edgy and depressed and You know, a good thing has happened here. A good thing has happened. And Susan Rice is not going to be the vice president of the United States. We're going to have somebody from California. California. Come on. Most of the good now, most of the good ideas, most of the good things where where people are trying to fix things, it's coming from California. Used to go east to west. Now it's west to east. That's okay. We got to, we got to, yeah, no, you don't have to live in California. I lived there for nine months. It was, it was fine. I, I don't, I, I love going there. I don't think I could live there. My sisters live there. I have a couple nieces that live there. I have cousins that live there. They love it. I love going there, but, um, you know, it's probably not my, not my cup of latte. Uh, but man, look at what's happened ever since they got rid of Republicans. I mean, they got rid 
of the Republicans in California. They don't control a goddamn thing. The state house in Sacramento, the state assembly, state senate, the governor's chair, it's all democratic and has been democratic now for a number of years. Secretary of State, the Attorney General, the whole apparatus is run by a fairly progressive bunch, big bunch of progressive Democrats. And they've done some good things. And I will we'll do something in California one of these days. It's something worth paying attention to. The senator from California is now the vice presidential candidate. And you don't think about that's another thing too. Biden didn't need to, you know, they oftentimes will pick a vice presidential candidate to help win that state or that region. He doesn't need her. He's already won California. People in California, you will you verify this? We already know who's going to win California. He didn't need Kamala Harris to win California. He didn't need Kamala Harris to win that region of the country. Oh, yeah, let me pick Kamala Harris because not only she'll help me with California, she'll help me with Oregon and uh, and the state of Washington. Because, you know, I'm going to need help there in Seattle and Portland and uh, Las Vegas. <laughs> no. No, he doesn't pick her for that. He doesn't pick her for a political reason. I just think that's very interesting. My friends, let me tell you this. The moment we are in right now in this country, on this planet, we are, we are in a moment the likes of which I haven't seen in my lifetime. And it, I'm telling you, it doesn't mean there haven't been moments, but there is a convergence of moments right now with us, whether it's the pandemic we're in, whether it's the uprising that we're in, Black Lives Matter, whether it's the climate emergency that we're all so well aware of and need to fix immediately, whether it's the economic depression, and it is a depression and nobody will say it, but we, geez, tens of millions of people have lost their jobs. Millions are not going to be able to pay the rent this month. We are in a depression. And we have these three viruses that I often speak of. The obvious one, COVID-19, that has now killed 165,000 Americans. That's 55 9-11s in terms of death. 55 9-11s. And no sign of it slowing down. As Dr. Red Leonard from Columbia University said on the podcast here a month or so ago, it could easily get up to 800,000 deaths and maybe a million if we don't take the measures we need to take. So we're, we're in a real, you know, between, the, between COVID-19, between the virus that is Trump, that's our second virus, we'll probably get rid of Trump before we get rid of COVID-19. And the third virus, that which gave us Trump, Trump just didn't fall out of the sky. We allowed this to happen. We created a society. We allowed an economic system that is cruel and greedy. And we are going to change our ways. I hear this from everybody. I know it's going to be better on the other side of this pandemic. But Trump and the Republicans, they are dangerous. They are dangerous, dangerous folks. And they have to be removed, not just Trump and Pence. Uh, we have to flip the Senate. 
with Biden in there, that means we need at least to, we need to flip at least three Senate seats. Let's go for six. Let's make it good and safe. Republicans have to be removed from every position because they have to go to the timeout room. They refuse to stand up against Trump. In fact, they've stood with him. They've enabled him. And it has now killed tens of thousands of Americans. And yes, Biden and Harris have their flaws. We know what they are. And we're not going to ignore that. As Cornell West said on this podcast, I will vote for Biden, but I will not lie for Biden. And that's, that's really what we all have to do. We have to get out there. We have to get people to the polls. We have to make sure people are going to be able to vote. We're going to have to fight Trump because he's going to try to interfere with that. And I'll get into that here in a few days. But um, we have no choice at this point. And when we get Biden and Harris in office, this is what Bernie kept saying the whole time he was running, that we weren't trying to get the Oval Office. We were trying to build a movement so that if he won the Oval Office, well, tens of millions of people would feel like they were entering that Oval Office with him. We have to keep that movement going. It has to build. It will build. It is building. I don't even have to say that. Look at what has happened. George Floyd, we will never forget you, and we will be unrelenting in our gratitude and love for the sacrifice that you made to ignite a revolution, to ignite an uprising. And it continues to grow. Last night, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar reelected in a landslide, just like last week, Rashida Tlaib in Detroit, reelected in a landslide. If you look at these numbers that are coming in in these primary states right now, I mean, in the in where I live in Michigan, in the county where I live, there were the the number of people last week that voted uh, with absentee ballots. Okay, listen to this. It was there were more absentee ballot voters in last week's election in my county in Michigan than there were. In the 2016 presidential election in the same county, then there, then then both absentee voters and in-person voters combined were less in 2016 than they were last week during a pandemic. That's how many people came out, either because of either with absentee ballots or the many who did come in person and risked their lives. That's how. Are you listening, Trump? You got somebody listen to this for you? I know you follow me on Twitter, but you better hear this. You have fucked up bad. Man, when they write the history of you, they're not going to be able to figure it out. You got to leave a note behind explaining your actions. They're going to go, why didn't he tackle this pandemic? His largest demographic of voters are people over the age of 65. They were for Donald Trump. And he just let them die. He just let them get sick. You'd think they'd be the first people that he would go after to make sure they were okay. And he's let this, by his 
ignorance and his incompetence and his lack of leadership, he's just killed them off. And he's got all these people in these red states, whether it's the biker convention in South Dakota last weekend or wherever they are, partying without their masks, getting together, you know, thinking that the mask is a Democratic versus Republican thing. So they think to be good Republicans, to be good Trump supporters, don't wear a mask. And God knows we'll ever, I don't know if we'll ever know the number of how many of them killed themselves off. Trump, you encourage them to behave this way. These are your voters. Those rednecks on the bikes in South Dakota, why would you kill off? your own base of support. Historians are going to ask this question. They're going to hold seminars. They're going to write white papers on this. They're going to need to know you're going to have to write something. To, I know you're not going to be able to write a book, but get somebody to ghostwrite it, talk into a tape recorder. Just fucking tell the people in the future why you killed off your own voters while at the same time trying to stop the people voting against you from voting, which only made them really mad. And they made sure, they made sure that they got out to vote. No, instead, you know, what? what's Trump doing? Every day, he's complaining that, that, that now it's, you know, Biden and Harris, but it's, it's all Democrats are the, um, you know, not only the enemy, but what does he, what does he, he calls, he says, uh, um, we're the, um, the radical left. The, no, the radical, the radical left mob, the radical left, you know, right? It's just like he's, he can't get all, all this, all the protesters in the street, you know, they're controlling Biden and Harris. They're controlling the Democratic Party, the, the, the radical left anarchist mob. He's so consumed with his belief that you and I, my friends, are behind all of this. That we are the puppet masters. We are pulling the strings of the DNC. <laughs> we got Biden and Harris to do our bidding. He, he really, this is his nonstop mantra day after day after day. And he thinks if Biden and Harris get in the White House, we're going to be in control of this administration. Can I just say that Donald Trump God bless him, has more faith in us than we do in ourselves. Because I don't think anybody listening to this, does anybody feel like you're in control? Do you feel like you're in control? Do you think you're, you feel like you're in control of the Democratic Party? Congress? The, right? Nobody? No, of course not. You know? I mean, <laughs> we know we're not in charge. We know we're not in control. We know we can't get these people to listen to us. And we know it's only going to take tens of thousands of people in the streets nonstop to get, to get the new administration to do a few of the things we'd like them to do. But Trump thinks we're already there. Trump thinks we've already, we've won. We've succeeded. And he gives Portland all the credit, like the rest of us are chopped liver, right? We, we all across the country, all the rest of us who've been part of the uprising. Yeah, no, it's it's all it's all of you out in Portland. Thank you, by the way, those of you in Portland. But 
But this is amazing, you know, and maybe we should just embrace it. Maybe we should just own it. Maybe we should just, you know, maybe I'll just start doing this on the podcast that this is the, this is the world headquarters of the radical left anarchist mob. We should just get, just, just let Trump think this and let's support him in, in his thoughts about this. Because actually, maybe, maybe the Democrats, our new president and vice president, will actually believe it themselves. And that will only mean good things for us. Should we start like a, like a, something called radical, radical leftists for Biden, Harris, radical, radical left anarchists, Antifa's for Biden, Harris. <laughs> we just need to scare Trump some more. You know, there's, there's like, maybe there's just, I just think we should own this sucker and just, just anoint ourselves the radical left. Biden Harris 2020. We're the radical left, and we've approved this message. Trump, you have no clue. You are going down bad. The fall didn't have to hurt this much. And look, friends, we've got our work to do here. What do we have? 80, 80 some days. It's not long before the election. Trump and Pence are a menace to society. <laughs> they are the, the true terrorists. We are in mortal danger. If they get four more years, oh, my God. We'll have to store the hard drive of these podcast episodes so they make it, uh, make it through to the other side. If we have a Democratic Senate, if we have a Democratic House, we've got the squad. The squad's getting bigger now. And with Biden and Harris in office, we can move them. We can move them. Because here's the thing about them. Both Biden and Harris, I've seen this. They do know which way the wind is blowing. And when they see that wind blowing, they start to move with the wind. They don't move against the wind. That's why we don't have Susan Rice running for vice president. They move with the wind. And they see the wind of 2020, especially since May 25th. So now that's why it's so important that we, you and I, not sit this out. You and I have to be out there. You and I have to keep pushing. We have to force Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to do the things that we, we the majority, want done. The majority want a living wage. The majority believe in choice. The majority believe that there should be free daycare and there should be free health care. And there should be free college, just like every other industrialized country. There is no excuse for this. We want this, we demand it, and we will get it if we do our job. And if we don't do our job, then what kind of radical left-wing anarchist mob are we if we sit it out and don't make this happen? No, no, we are going to make this happen. And I, I want to hear from you. Write me. I read my email, mike at michaelmoore.com. Leave me a voice message. It's right here on the podcast platform page. Just click on that. You get one minute. I listen to every voicemail. Tell your friends, your neighbors, and 
coworkers, people in the other room, <laughs> tell them about this podcast. We're going to use this podcast for the greater good here, especially over these next couple of months. We have got work to do. Celebrate the, the tiny gifts that we're given. Stick to our principles. Fight for the things that we demand happen. Put the pressure on where the pressure needs to be. I'm going to feel good for 24 hours. Maybe longer. I think this is a good thing. And I think something's going on. Something's going on with Joe Biden. And I'm hoping it's, it's a good thing. It just may be. Don't, don't sink into your cynicism in this moment. You know me. I'll never encourage you to have false hope or a belief that the system is somehow going to look our way and say, welcome, friends. No, no. We have fundamental changes to, that are going to have to happen in this country if we're really ever going to get the things that we need for this to be the America that we were always promised but never happened. Let's, 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 why don't we just take, let's just take a flyer on this. Let's see if maybe we can make it happen. That's where I'm at. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rumble with Michael Moore. Thank you to the executive producer, Basil Hamden, to our sound engineer and editor, Nick Quaz, and to everybody else who has been a supporter of Rumble. That's exactly what we need to be all doing and continuing to do out there in the rumble. Thank you, everybody. I'll talk to you soon. I was prisoning. I was prisoning. I feel the rain coming. Let me play my guitar for them right now. Let's go. 